We have been in 1 Corinthians, so if you want to turn there, you can, but we're not going to be there this morning. Um, we're, we're going to pause this sermon series. Um, we, we do on, on purpose, churches do things differently, preach different ways, but on purpose, we work through books of the Bible. We see that God gave us his word as he did uh, for the purposes of um, our health. I mean, he, he, he's told us that his, his words bring us life. It's good for, for correction and exhortation, for encouragement. His, his word is good for our training and all that we need in life as his church. We have his word. It's everything we need. And so we want to just preach through it. And we do that for many reasons. And, and one in particular is that we want to make sure we cover everything. Because if we just preach topically, we would just always address the things that are comfortable to address or that we want to address rather than seeing what the full counsel of God's word has to say about our lives. And so we're intentional about that. But we also see the need to occasionally pause and strategically and intentionally apply these truths to our lives in certain ways. And so today, a fifth Sunday, we typically have not gathered like this on a fifth Sunday. This is the first time, I think, in our church's history that we've done that. Um, Usually, we take advantage of an opportunity to scatter, but still remain the body on mission somewhere in the city, um, and still worshiping God in that way, just not in this way. And so we have made a decision to continue to gather as we have uh, on every other Sunday, on this fifth Sunday and foreseeable future, um, to to keep a rhythm. Uh, Our culture has this understanding of this is what you do on a Sunday. So for the context that we find ourselves in, to keep that rhythm, I think, is important. But we don't want to lose the purpose. The purpose of that scattering was to remember what we're about, the church, every day of the week. So we pause on that fifth Sunday to say, okay, let's go be the church, and let's demonstrate what it should look like every day of the week. And so this morning, we're going to still pause and talk specifically about what that means. What does it mean to make disciples, to be a disciple? What does it mean to live in the rhythms of our culture as a gospel-changed person? If, if the Word of God is really doing all the things He says it does in us as individuals and drawing us together as a church and sending us out as missionaries, what should that look like and what can that look like practically in our context, in our everyday lives? That's the question we're asking this morning. And so as we strive uh, to believe this Word, to repent of our sins, to live on mission in this cultural context, uh, the understanding the truth of the gospel, applying the truth of the gospel, walking in step with the truth of the gospel uh, as, as believers. What does that look like? And this morning we're going to read through a bunch of scripture to start it. And then I, I hope it's going to be a practical conversation. I, I wanted to have a whiteboard up here and I was going to write things out and make it like a training, but I, I don't think I would do well to hobble back and forth from a whiteboard. Uh, so imagine a whiteboard in your head and write whatever you want on it. Nobody else knows. And let's internalize these things. Let's, let's make it. Can we just take a breath? Remove the, the weirdness that there is, that like the separation. There's a guy up here talking and you're all sitting here listening. It's kind of weird if we're honest. It happens so many times in our culture, every Sunday in so many places Let's, let's, let's try and just see ourselves as the church, going to the Word of God to be equipped for the mission of God, to the glory of our God. Can we do that? All right. So there, these will be on the screen for you. You can write them down if you'd like. But I'm just going to read through several passages of Scripture to kind of cr- create a framework for us. 
First Matthew chapter 4. This is Jesus speaking to his first disciples. And he said to them, follow me. This is verse 19 and 20 of Matthew 4. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Luke chapter 9, Jesus clarifying this a little more in Luke chapter 9, 23. And he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. In Luke 14, adding a little more depth to this concept of following him in Luke 14, 26 and 27. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Verse 33, so therefore, anyone of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, this is obviously a difficult calling. I don't, I don't intend to soften it any, any at all. I think it's meant to be as extreme as it sounds. And there was one individual in Scripture who really got this. His name was Paul. And he wrote letters to many churches. Uh, and he talked about how he understood the calling of Christ and how he was calling others to that same thing. And so we're going to read some passages that Paul wrote. One is in Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. In Romans chapter 14, verses 7 and 8, For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then... Whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. In Philippians chapter 3, he's talking about many things he accomplished for himself, but in light of who he is now in Christ, he has a different way of viewing it. Philippians 3, 7 through 11. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake... I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead." And in a more concise way, earlier in this letter, he said, Philippians 1.21, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So we're to be like Paul, right? It seems ridiculous. He's amazing. This calling on our lives. Paul seems to think, yes, we're to be like him. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So hopefully it's clear so far, the calling is extreme. It's radical. But it's somehow possible. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. After writing the, the book of Romans, after 
getting to this point in chapter 12. He's, he's laid out theology. He's laid out the problem of sin and the ways in which the gospel is the only solution. He's, he's systematically said, everyone's a sinner. Everyone deserves hell. No one is righteous, but Jesus has done everything necessary. He even walks through his own difficulties, suffering with struggles with sin. And he, he points out, still, I'm not condemned because of Christ. And he, he reaches this point in chapter 12 when all of this, he said, seems impossible. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, family, church. I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So all, this, all that we're called to, he appeals to us to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, not by our own strength, because we see how impossible this is, but by the mercies of God. You know, it seems evident Christians, believers, disciples of Christ, are to deny the flesh and all its desires because it's no longer what life is about. Hopefully you you heard as I read through these passages that the old you is gone. If you're a believer, it's been crucified with Christ. The new you is alive for Christ and in Christ. You follow Christ. You worship Christ. All of life is dedicated to to that aim for that purpose, for Jesus. We're devoted to Him in such a way that in comparison Everything else you could ever attain or gain, all the accolades, what people think of you, anything hanging on your wall, a certificate of any kind is rubbish. All of it compared to the significance we find in Christ is a pile of rubbish, dung, as the KJV would say. And you're devoted to Christ in such a way that it would seem those you love the most you actually hate. Is the words of Christ. We would follow him, leaving behind our livelihood even. That throw down your nets, give up the family business, follow me. That's, that's the calling. Our, and our very lives, as a result, are daily a sacrifice to Christ. This is the description we find in, in the Bible for a disciple of Christ. This is what discipleship looks like. It's somehow we've, we've made it into learning a lot of stuff so that we can be moral and pretentious through behavior modification and education, and we call it discipleship. And maybe once a week meetings at a coffee shop, we call it discipleship. I, I don't mean to belittle once a week meetings at coffee shops. I love those. I'm going to keep having them. But... I think the calling in Scripture is a little more extreme. And I want, it, I want the calling to be really clear before we talk about how to do it. Because it needs to be understood. This is all of you. You're not making space in your life to fit in discipleship. You're not clearing out some things so that you can put a little Jesus in. This compartmentalization of your faith is not what Scripture says faith is. The point of discipleship is not behavior modification. It's not gaining knowledge. It's not gaining wisdom. It's not self-improvement. 
It's putting the flesh to death. It's killing the old you. Not cleaning it up or putting some perfume on it. Discipleship is about being like Christ. And that's impossible if you remain who you are. It's not about being a better you or living your best life now. It's, it's about no longer being you. Sacrificing you every day. So that Christ is glorified. So that the kingdom grows. There is a significant amount of unlearning we must do if we're going to have this sort of discipleship. The typical church person in America has a very different understanding of what it means to be a disciple. And Christianity is so strongly tied to this individualistic piety or this holier-than-thou-ness, like we have to put up a front and pretend to be perfect. It's so tied to it that we, instead we have this guilt-based system of trying to clean up your life on your own and your own power and your own strength to become a better you. And we celebrate the strong-willed and those who seem to be more successful at doing that. And we shame those who are failures. And we create this environment that's hard to even confess sin because we're going to be buried with shame. This is not discipleship according to the Bible. We aspire not to be sin-free in our own power For if righteousness were obtained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Galatians 2.21 Instead, Jared Wilson, a pastor and author, says discipleship is following Jesus not on some religious quest to become bigger, better, or faster, but to become more trusting of His mercy towards our total inability to become those things. It's trusting Jesus more and more. It's worshiping Jesus more and more. And this Romans 12.1, this call to sacrifice by the mercies of God is what we need to focus on. By the grace of God, we follow. By the allure, by the attraction, by the beauty of Christ, we desire to follow. We pursue joy in Him. It's not about feeling bad and trying harder. And we are not seeking to, to give up a few things to have Jesus. It's God mercifully giving Himself, all of Himself to us as we give up all of ourselves. All right, so if discipleship is this, and if making disciples looks like that, then why is it so few are actually being discipled? And that's where we can try to get into some more practical things. I think it's less complicated than we want to make it. The truth is we love our stuff more than we love Jesus. If, if we have a lot of idols in our life, there's not a lot of room to worship Jesus. We seek to satisfy ourselves elsewhere so we're not satisfied in Christ. We don't consider other things rubbish. We're not following Jesus in all of life because in some parts of our lives we're following other things. However, as we increasingly worship Jesus in all of life, I think we'll naturally become more and more disciples of Jesus in all of life, and we'll make more disciples uh, for Jesus in all of life. In his reflections on the Psalms, C.S. Lewis put it like this, just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? It isn't simply out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. Now surely it's familiar to you, even if you've never been in love, you've had good food or you've seen good entertainment, and this resonates in some way. 
that somehow when you bite into a cheeseburger, it doesn't feel as good until you exhale verbally. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Somehow that expression of delight completes the feeling of delight. Or if you see a good movie like Infinity Wars, I haven't seen it yet, so no spoilers are possible because I don't know. You see a good movie, you want others to see it, so immediately you leave the movie and you text your friends, you got to see this movie. Because not only is it more complete when we express it, but we want others to join in that delight with us. So, do you see what God has done? He's built the system. He's designed it in such a way that when you find Christ to truly be satisfying, you're drawn to him. You would immediately throw down your nets and follow him. And not only would that expression feel more complete by following him and receiving this, this delightful experience knowing Christ and following Christ, but you would want others to join in and experience that delight. He's designed it in a way that makes it simple if we would allow it to be simple. The Lord has stepped in and made a way for us to know him fully, to be satisfied in him fully, and, and so that we'd be willing to sacrifice everything else to have him. And he saved us from sin and death by sacrificing himself and sent us on this mission to make more disciples and made himself so glorious, so attractive, so enjoyable that we wouldn't even have to work hard at it. If we would just enjoy him, others would come alongside us and enjoy him. This is the design of discipleship in scripture. And so he's commissioned us. He sent us out on this mission to do this very thing. In Matthew 28, the last thing he says to his disciples before ascending into heaven, verse 19 and 20, go therefore, and if you've heard before, the English doesn't give a great rendering of this, Because go therefore is actually a participle phrase modifying the verb. It's not the verb. So go therefore is more like as you're going, as you go about life, everywhere you go and whatever you do, as you're going, make disciples. And there's your verb. Make disciples is the command. It's not just a commission. It's a command. Everywhere you go and everything you do, as you're going, make disciples of all ethnos, all ethnicities, all people, translated nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, this is beautiful, behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And of course, it's not easy. It's delightful when you're satisfied in Christ. But there will be the endurance of suffering, as we also heard in those passages There's going to be suffering, but Christ is so supreme. It's so worth it. And how is this done exactly? Well, it's done exactly like he designed it and how he demonstrated it. Jesus started it off by saying, follow me. As he's saying, follow me, he's saying, worship me. He says to his disciples, I don't know what you're worshiping, although he did. (laughs) Whatever it is you're worshiping, Whatever you're finding delight in, whatever you're living your life for, stop it. Worship me. And as he says, worship me, he doesn't just say, worship me, end of sentence. He says, worship me, and I'm going to make you a disciple maker. 
be my disciple and I'm going to make you a fisher of men. It's exactly what we're talking about. Be satisfied in me, Christ says, and I will show you and I will make you. He's going to do the work to make you a disciple maker. Therefore, this way of discipleship laid out in Scripture is a commission and a command to the church, to his disciples, that's us, to be done in community, not just individuals mentoring one another, though that should happen, to be done in community, on mission, every day, in the everyday things of life. Whether you're playing a sport, eating food, working at your job, going to class, whatever it is, everywhere you go, Delight in Christ. Be satisfied in Him. And call others to join you. Share in this as one body. A family of missionary servants. It's a novel idea. Also known as a missional community. The intentionality we have in the, in the layout, the design of this church is not created by any man. It's what we find in Scripture. This making of disciples and everyday rhythms is how we intend it to experience the fifth Sunday. And in fact, Soma family of churches has six rhythms that they would say are a rhythm. These are rhythms that exist in every culture and every community across the world and, and throughout history. These rhythms of life that we find intersect the gospel story, make them gospel rhythms for us. And, and I won't even ask you what they are because we've not done well to emphasize them, I'll tell you. The first is story or story formed. The, the concept is everybody, every human being, even animals, even nature, everything, every culture, every experience is shaped by story. Everybody has a story. We had things that happened to us. We've done things. We've experienced life, and that is your story. And, and every culture, every community has a story as well. And so we engage in that story and and every individual believer has at some point in their lives had their story intersect the story of God, the gospel story, the grand narrative, this experience of seeing what he has done and how it changes your story. And so as gospel changed people with gospel stories, we engage the story of our community and our culture. And that is the second rhythm. Listen, we listen to other people's stories. We listen to the story of our culture, and we listen to the story of God. We listen to the Spirit leading us in this mission. And everyone experiences listening, and we're fed by the media. Depending on what channel you listen to, your, your story, this, how you view the country, is shaped. Depending on what Instagram people you follow, your idea of what's stylish and what's in is shaped. We're shaped by what we listen to, and our stories are formed by what we listen to. And the way we engage that is this third rhythm of blessing. God has blessed us with many gifts and resources and abilities, and we bless Him in return by giving those blessings up. We serve others with these gifts. We give give our resources to others. We give to the church. We bless God and we bless others because we've been blessed. That's how you see. And outside of the church, there's still people with gifts and abilities and skills, obviously. But now we can see with redeemed minds, with renewed minds, how to use those things to the glory of God. And then the last three rhythms are, are much more easy to get your mind around, I think. Eating, celebrating, and recreating. Everybody eats, right? Anyone here not eat? Just want to make sure. Okay, yeah, everybody eats, at least in this room. And 
We eat about three times a day. And if we are changed by the gospel, we can see rightly that this eating isn't just for our bodies, but we fellowship over food. We party around food, especially in the South, especially as Baptists. Love food, man. It's not a gathering unless there's food. And the culture eats. Invite people to your lives to eat. If, you're, if your social life isn't diverse, start with your dinner table. Like, invite people to eat. Fellowship. Get to know people. Eating is a rhythm that we should engage with gospel intentionality. And along with that is celebrating. Everybody celebrates birthdays, holidays, anniversaries, just random things. We make up new holidays. You have a get on Google. Every day has a thing. You can celebrate something every day if you want. Celebrate with the culture, but celebrate in a way that you demonstrate to the world that we believers have something to celebrate that is far superior than anything you could celebrate in this world. We celebrate Christ in all of our celebrating. We celebrate Christ even in our eating. That's why we thank God for our food. It's a blessing. The creation of the flavors to enjoy, it's a blessing from God. And then lastly, recreate, which is probably most controversial. <laughs> Not in a, It's just confusing to some because it's also recreate. Recreating is, is really the catch-all. For everything else, just put it in that category. So recreating, playing sports or whatever you do to, re, to relieve stress and anxiety, this, this idea of, of expressing yourself, recreating it artistically. God is a creator. He has given us the ability to create. We design things. So engineers create and artists create. We are all creative in different ways, and we express that to the glory of God. And the culture loves art. The culture loves uh, creation, nature, the outdoors, design, writing books, movies. I mean, we love it. So how do we go about that as gospel people engaging the culture in those things? But also it includes working and resting. Because we, we are people who work. It, even before the fall, there was work to be done. And there was rest to be had. So by God's design, we work and we rest. And that may look different. You don't always just sit and watch TV to rest. Sometimes it's very restful to play basketball. It's restful to, to run around the block or whatever non-athletic people do. It's, it's, in, it's intentionality. That's the reason they exist. They're tools so that we can be intentional and see rhythms exist in our culture. We can either be caught up in them and be conformed to the ways of the world or we can have our minds renewed and we can see all of these rhythms with gospel intentionality and we can engage the lost. We can engage people. That's the idea behind this gospel saturation series. So that we would see that we're gospel people called to live as light in darkness, as salt of the world. We're called to, to no longer be who we used to be, but to be new in Christ. As we continue to walk through 1 Corinthians, we'll see this more and more. That's what Paul is calling the people in Corinth to do. That's what, that's what we are calling one another here in Monroe to do. Stop living your life for yourself and live for God, but only possible by the mercies of God. So we are far from being in, intentional in this gospel way. I think we're much closer than we used to be, but we're far from it. We're really big on gospel principles and strong doctrine and on theology, but we must, we must be much more intentional with our gospel practices. 
And we have to be able to talk about it without feeling ashamed of our failures. And maybe we're, we're really good at doing the church stuff because we've done it for so long. But how are we at seeing and believing and repenting in everyday life? To have our life truly changed by the gospel and shaped around the mission. The truth is, if you have relationships with people, you are making disciples. It's just a question of what are you making them a disciple to? Is it to your way of life? Is it to your fanaticism with any book, series, or movie, or sport, or sports team? How are you discipling the people in your life? I teach a lot of people about coffee. When they, when they ask, I've learned, wait till they ask. If they don't ask, they don't want to know. So I've made some disciples in coffee. How, how far is that going to get me in life? What eternal significance does that have? How much do I enjoy coffee as compared to how much I enjoy Jesus? The reason I talk about coffee is because I really like it. So we are making disciples. But are we making disciples of Christ? And making disciples is all about seeing people transformed by the power of the gospel. So if we want to see people transformed by the power of the gospel, we must be sure that we're experiencing transformation by the power of the gospel in ourselves. Thinking practically, as you consider your life, the people in your life, I want you to actually think about it right now. Put it on your whiteboard. Name the people in your life. Think about your everyday. Think about your work experience, your school experience, your neighbors. As you consider the people in your life, how much do you demonstrate your satisfaction in Christ before them? It doesn't have to be how much you talk about Jesus, although that should be happening. But how satisfied are you in Christ? Maybe it helps to think how anxious are you about life? How much peace do you actually have? How often do you explode in anger or frustration? How much do you complain and gossip? Now, always be cautious to not be buried in shame. But it's important that you consider it. We often communicate it by saying, don't invite people to church. Invite them into your life and be the church. I've also heard Dahadi Lewis, a pastor in Atlanta, say, don't invite people to time and space. Invite them into relationship. Because it's not about, can they make our MC gathering time? It's not about, do they have margin in their life to be here on Sunday morning? It's about having relationships. Do you know them? Do they know you? Invite them into your life. Invite them into a relationship. And if they can get off work on Sunday morning or whenever your MC gathers, then praise God that they can be a part of that. If they can share in mission with your missional community, whatever you're doing, praise God. But have a relationship. Be friends. Because as you experience your satisfaction in Christ and continue to be conformed into the image of Christ with them in your life, then you're making a disciple of Christ. Even better, consider what Jesus said. Follow me. That's all you have to say. It'd be weird if he said exactly those words, but that's the idea. Tell them. As Paul said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And for me, I have to be cautious not to make disciples of Kendrick 
So it's important that we share in community because no individual in here or anywhere in the world or throughout history has ever been Jesus but Jesus. You cannot go and be Jesus because you're not. You're you. But together, we are very much so, according to the word of God, the body of Christ. So if we make disciples in community, they're going to look a lot more like Jesus than if it's just you. And that's a lesson I learned the hard way as I had guys in my life who started annoying me because they were a lot like me. I was like, okay, we got to get you around some other believers. I won't tell you their names because they're here. I'm just kidding. Uh, as people show up in your life, as practical as I can make it, as people show up in your life, consider them guests, just like we would here. As people show up here, let's consider them guests and treat them like guests. Show hospitality. As they're in your life, show hospitality. Show kindness. Bless them. Encourage them. Sacrifice for them. Treat them as guests in your life and hope that they become friends. As people show up as guests, try and make them friends. And then pray that God would do this supernatural work to make them family. Because we don't possess the power to do that. But the hope is our guests would become friends and our friends would become family. And that's discipleship. And we demonstrate this and we proclaim this. We, we must proclaim it. There's no such thing as making disciples and never talking about Jesus. We must proclaim it within community and trust God by his mercies to continue this work of salvation, adding to this number because he is faithful to do so. Now, if you meet someone at the, at the Crossing Church gathering, if you meet someone within a missional community, it's likely they're going to expect you to talk about Jesus. So there's your end. <laughs> you don't have to wait for it to come up casually in conversation. If you ask someone to lunch and you met them here, chances are it's okay to talk about Jesus. I don't know why that's a problem, but let's find freedom from that. But if you are one who struggles to work Jesus into conversation, though I hate that even as a concept, I have, I have a long time, even when I was a youth pastor, taught this very simple method. Their story, your story, his story. Everybody has a story, remember, so ask them about their lives. Ask them about their family or their, their work experience or growing up. Ask them their story. And then at some point, it's likely, because you're human also, your story is going to intersect their story. And you're going to be able to share and sympathize and empathize even. And because you're a believer, your story has already intersected the story of God, His story. And you can express how you have depended on the Spirit of God and how you have believed the gospel in that conversation. It doesn't have to be forced, but it needs to happen at some point. And I'm a pastor, and so I've taken this from Matt Chandler. And when I meet people, I just say, hey, I'm a pastor, so at some point I want to talk to you about Jesus. When do you want to do that? And sometimes they laugh. Sometimes they're like, that's weird. But okay, I guess we can do that. There's freedom. Do you enjoy Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Why would you not want to share Jesus? I mean, I'm sure you can make a list of reasons why not, but if you actually made a list, would you really think those are good reasons? The mission isn't about adding things to your life. It's about intersection. It's about crossing paths. Everyone is living life, and that's why we see these rhythms as so helpful. But it's about seeing these stories intersect the story of God, and He does the work of salvation and also being present matters. If you're not in their lives, you're never going to have the opportunity. But also being present and, and being close. Proximity and relationship creates a reality that, that gives you a little urgency. It, com it compels you to share Christ. 
When you're near to someone's problems, it starts to become your problem. When, you're, when your kids go to the problem school, it's now your problem. When you live in the projects, the projects are now your problem. Does that make sense? So the more you're involved in people's lives, your, your sympathy is going to increase. Empathy will grow and, and you'll want to help them. So don't isolate yourself. And our obedience is not the base of our relationship. It's the overflow of it. So you're not looking to just work to be obedient. The obedience is evidence that you're actually following Jesus. And most days, just to be honest, most days, I'm not good at this. I don't know if that gives you any sense of freedom. (laughs) I'm not saying go and rebel because... I'm bad. I'm just, I'm with you. I want to make disciples and I'm bad at it. Sometimes when I wake up in the morning, I, I feel like I'm in Romans 7. You know, Paul wrote Romans, Romans 7, 15, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I feel like that. And I worship myself Before my head even gets off the pillow, I'm thinking about myself. I'm hungry. I want some coffee. I need some caffeine in this body. I want to sleep more. Thank God for snooze. Titus, shut up. (laughs) I don't understand. Why can't you just poop on the toilet? It's not hard. People are doing it all over the world every day. As if I, if I got my way, that would be my salvation. That's what I'm thinking in the morning. Of course, that's not the case. But you get the idea. Every day, before I get out of bed, I'm sinfully seeking to satisfy my flesh. And I know the day before me is filled with sin. I'm going to have sins of omission and sins of commission. How in the world am I going to show anyone how to follow Christ when I can't even get my life together? I can't even stop myself from lusting and from pride, from gossip and slander. And that's where we're cautious not to fall under shame and think we're condemned because following Romans 7, where Paul writes, wretched man am I, who will deliver me from this body of death? That's Paul saying this. Following Romans 7 is Romans 8, where our Father who is merciful And our Savior, whose grace is sufficient, is expressed in Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And 8-11, through those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. So what hope do we have when we feel like we're trapped in the flesh, when the war is waged inside of us between good and evil, the spirit and the flesh? What hope do we have? Christ and the spirit who raised Christ from the dead within us. I, this sinner in bed, complaining about his trivial problems, am clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I have the spirit of God dwelling in me. You, believer, have everything you need to follow Christ and to ask others to imitate you as you imitate Christ. 
as unbelievable as it might sound, the impossible is possible because of Christ, the Spirit of God living within you, giving you life and everything you need to live every day and every moment of every day as worshipers of Jesus. And that means it's not just the good people are going to see when they come into your life, but they're going to see the bad. They're going to see the ugly and the fights, and, the, and they're also going to see the repentance and the forgiveness and the grace. And then they're going to see the, the continued failures and to sin, you doing the things you don't want to do, and they're going to see, again, the repentance and the return to Christ and the worship of Christ. And why would you keep going back to Him? Because you find Him to be satisfying. You delight in Him. And I, don't, I don't know how long it's going to take for them to see He could also be their delight, But God does that work, and we trust Him to do it. And in the end, we worship Jesus, we depend on the Spirit, and we have life. And the gospel is on display for the world to see, and disciples are being made. And He is exalted as supreme because He truly is. And He is glorified, and His kingdom is coming, and His will is being done in your life on this earth as it is in heaven. He is at work establishing His kingdom through His church. Jesus is worshiped. And so what do we do now? Well, Jesus tells us we will follow him. In John 10, 27 and 28, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And so let's praise him for this work. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for the gospel. I praise you, Lord, for you are good and you are faithful always, even when we're not. You give us everything we need and we are dependent on your spirit to continue this work of salvation. But we know you're faithful to do so. We're held in your hands and no one will snatch us from you. We hear your voice. You call our name and we follow. We worship you as your disciples. Be faithful, Lord, to make disciples who make disciples. And let us be faithful to make disciples who make disciples. To your glory, for your kingdom, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.